So we're going to look at three things in this section. We're going to see the sign, the sequence, and the suddenness of Jesus' coming. So look at verse 14 of Mark 13. It says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Now, I'm pausing it here, even though we're, <laughs> we're going to cover the rest of the chapter. You're like, yeah, right. I know, I know. We're going to try, though, okay? This first verse, if you came in this morning and said, I have no idea what an abomination of desolation is. I have no idea who Daniel the prophet is. I have no idea why Jesus is talking about all this. This is the verse we need to understand before we start moving to the rest of it. We'll move at a quicker pace after this verse. But this verse here, we have to remember again, Jesus is in the middle of teaching answering questions of his disciples from verse 4. In chapter 13 verse 4 they asked two questions. They said in regards to the temple being destroyed they said when will these things be? And then they asked secondly what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And see the word for fulfilled is this Greek word it's suntaleo that means the accomplishment or fulfillment of all things. How do we know that's what the heart of their question was? We go to a parallel account in Matthew's, Matthew's Gospel 24, verse 3. It says, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? These guys said, when this temple gets destroyed, we want to know when that is because that means it's the end of this age of sin and man here, God, Jesus is coming again as the Messiah. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. Tell us about these things. And so we're in the middle of this conversation here. And see, in verses 7 through 8, Jesus said something. He said, you're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see, you know, wars, rumors of wars. Do you know what he told them about those things? Don't be troubled. Those things are going to happen. Those are not the signs that I'm coming. That's just the nature of the fallen world in which we live, which is interesting because many times... People will talk about, man, more earthquakes. You know what that means, right? Jesus is coming tomorrow, right? More wars. Oh, Jesus must be coming. We've been taking the things. Jesus said, these are not the signs. Don't be worried. The end is not yet, he said. But in this section today, he's not going to be talking about the delays of things that you can expect and say, okay, that's not the end. He's explaining when you see the abomination of desolation. <laughs> Man, this event, which we'll talk about in a minute, he says, then you know the end is near. And see, what is interesting here is that some people may walk in here today. You may be one of these people that come in, and, and, and it's fine. We all have kind of different opinions sometimes on these things. But I will tell you, there are people that are what we call preterists. They believe that everything that had to deal with Jesus' like, second coming or the Messiah's ruling and reigning, they think it's all been fulfilled as of 70 AD at the destruction of the temple. They believe that that's it. That's the fulfillment of it. That's where the abomination and desolation happened. Everything's done. Some people say the abomination and desolation was completed in 167 BC by a man named Antichus Epiphanes. There's all these different theories. But today what we're going to do, I'm just going to tell you, I am a futurist. What that means is I don't believe that Christ has returned yet, but I believe he is going to. And see, I don't believe that, yes, there are near fulfillments of these things. Antichrist Epiphanes, the destruction temple, these things can be near fulfillments, but the total fulfillment, the future fulfillment still stands that Jesus is coming again. We're going to be speaking from that standpoint, and I speak from here in humility, that I understand that people might say, well, hey, I have this argument over here. I will tell you this. I believe you're wrong. <laughs> That's okay. You'd probably say I'm wrong. But I will tell you, this is not a topic that we divide the body over. 
But I will tell you, if you, have, if you have a stance on this, it better be your stance, and you better be able to defend it from Scripture without violating the character of God and without violating the rest of Scripture. Amen? And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm just telling you, I am a futurist that believes in a pre-trib rapture that believes Jesus is coming again. <laughs> and so if you believe that with me, give me an amen. amen. Awesome. Can I tell you, that's kind of like, like easy pickings at, at Calvary Chapel. This is like, people will come in sometimes and be like, I can't believe you're a pre-trib guy. I'm like, that's like being shocked that Hutchins serves brisket. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> like, this is, I'm sorry. Like, it's okay. We don't have to divide over it, but don't be shocked that we teach these things because this is the heritage of what we walk in but not because man said it I believe it's I believe it's been studied well I believe it's been defended well and I believe the things around us show that this is the case let me give you something about some of the stuff that occurred in 167 BC that's interesting Flavius Josephus famous uh, Jewish historian he wrote in the antiquities of the Jews he said when the king, speaking of Syrian ruler, Antichus Epiphanes, he says, When the king had built an idol altar upon God's altar, he slew swine upon it, and so offered a sacrifice, neither according to the law, nor the Jewish religious sacrifice, neither, I'm sorry, re religious worship in that country. He also compelled them to forsake the worship which they paid their own God and to adore those whom he took to be gods and made them build temples and raise idol altars in every city and village and offer swine upon them every day. Now this is a big deal because the abomination of desolation, if we take those words, what it means is a detestable, idolatrous act that makes people want to leave the temple desolate. <laughs> So we're talking about the Jewish temple, and in came this man, Antichus Epiphanes, and he comes in, and what he does is he sets up this place. <laughs> he says, I'm going to worship the god Zeus. I'm going to slew a pig on the altar. If we know anything about kosher rules and laws, that's what it's talking about, like tradition, practices. This was disgusting to the Jewish people. This is in that silent period, the Maccabean period between Malachi and Matthew. It's not in our Bible, but tradition tells us historians write about it when this occurred. So when people say, man, that was a scary scene where there was idolatry set up in the temple and these gross things. That must have been the fulfillment of Daniel. And see, Daniel, which we'll get into in a minute, prophesied that there would be an event where a man was coming into the temple and he was going to be, do the most idolatrous, blasphemous scene. And so people go, well, maybe it's all been fulfilled, right? But this is interesting. If you go back to verse 14, Jesus is, is speaking here. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation. Jesus is speaking. We're going to put this at like 32 AD. If, if Antichrist Epiphanes came in 167 BC, maybe about almost 200 years prior to Jesus, Jesus says, it hasn't happened yet. When you see this thing, this is what we're watching for, and it's what Daniel spoke of. So though there may have been a near fulfillment, a preview, a trailer, if you will, of the coming feature, <laughs> Jesus says, man, that event is still coming. You get what I'm saying here? This is important because you may run into someone who goes, oh, those things have been fulfilled. They got fulfilled in like 167 B.C., Jesus doesn't believe so. I'm going to stand with Jesus on this one. <laughs> and so when Jesus says, when you see this thing, and we go again, what are we talking about? He says it's coming in the future. I believe I have Daniel 9.27. I want to read this to you guys. This is important. Because he says it was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. It says, it describes this event that's to come. 
This is some 700 years before Jesus when this was written, but it's prophesying of an event in the future. It says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So we say, what in the world does this verse mean? We just pulled one verse out of Daniel 9. This section of Scripture, we refer to it often as the 70 weeks of Daniel. You guys ever heard of this? Show of hands, who's heard of the 70 weeks of Daniel? Cool. You remember, we talked about this when we were talking about the triumphal entry, right? How Jesus showed up on the exact day that was prophesied. It fulfilled these, what was it, 482 years. He fulfilled it perfectly down to the T, rode in on the donkey and everything. Well, in this section... This verse is speaking about a week. And we go, what is a week? Seven days, right? Well, that's not how they use it in their language. A week was any set of sevens. And see, if Jesus showed up in exactly 400 and I think it was 482, 483 years when he showed up and he fulfilled 69 sets of the seven years to the, to the date, it proves that there's one week left, seven years. And it says that this person that's going to commit this abomination and desolation, they're going to walk in, they're going to make an agreement, a covenant with Israel. Do you know who we're talking about right now? <laughs> the Antichrist. This man, don't just think that he is opposing God, this is true, but he's going to try to replace Christ. He is going to show up and proclaim himself to be the Messiah. He's going to show up and proclaim himself to be God. But first, when he arrives, he comes as a man that is here for peace. He shows up and gets Israel to agree into a covenant, a one, a one week, seven years. But did you notice what it says happens in the middle of the week? He breaks that covenant. And the abomination of desolation takes place. And we say, well, where do we get this from? How do we know this? It's interesting. Paul also wrote about this. Paul wrote about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. He said, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, speaking of the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Antichus Epiphanes set up an altar to Zeus. He never said that he himself was God. He said that Zeus was a god. Yes, he slew a pig and said that everyone should participate in these weird things. It was a near fulfillment. It was a partial fulfillment. But the future fulfillment is that at some point, let me be clear, I do not believe that God is done with Israel. <laughs> I believe that there is clearly from Scripture a time coming when Israel will embrace this world leader who will say, man, we should put a temple up here. We should put the temple on the temple mount and we should reinstate all of your sacrifices. That's what we're told is going to be occurring in Daniel 9. It's interesting. Do you know there's no temple right now in Jerusalem, right? I challenge you to go home today and just search third temple in Jerusalem. Find out how many news articles exist just from this week about the people, Netanyahu, and the people that want to build this third temple. They want someone to come in and create peace between them and the Muslim people that have the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. They want to create peace so they can resurrect the temple. <laughs> Is that crazy that this was written thousands of years ago and we're standing here hearing about these things? Now, let me be clear. The temple itself is not the sign we're, we're, we're waiting for. 
But if the man, the son of this, the son of perdition, if he's going to walk into a temple to, to do this abomination desolation, it sounds like there needs to be a temple. They have blueprints for a temple that in three months could be completed. Three months. Do you remember three months ago? Months fly by for me right now. <laughs> That's really soon that they could have a temple going. Do you know that there's a whole group that has already prayed over the instruments for sacrifice? They say, we've tracked down red heifers. We have all these things. We are so ready to do the sacrifices as, as given by tradition and scripture. But we just don't have a place to do it yet. And see, it's interesting. If only the world just wanted united peace for everyone, right? It turns out that's everyone's call right now. <laughs> one world government, one world nation, one world thing. If only someone could overcome the national thing and just unite us all. Can I tell you that there is someone waiting in the wings to do this? Now, I'm not saying it happens three months from day or this year. I don't know that. Can I tell you what this section is going to show us to do? Do not set dates. Amen. <laughs> no man will know the day or the hour of these things. <laughs> but when Jesus says these are things that are still coming, I look around and I go, man, I could see that happening today. I don't have to look back to 167 B.C. to think that maybe that was the, the fulfillment of it. <laughs> But he says there's something that's coming, and it's interesting. It says in Daniel 12, 11, it says from the point of the abomination desolation, it says from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away. So when the Antichrist comes in and says no more Jewish worship, you're now going to worship me as God. It says from that point, there shall be 1,290 days. Is that very specific? <laughs> that's wild to me. I feel like we should be able to go 1,290 days from Antiochus Epiphanes and go like, all right, cool, three and a half years later, Jesus must have shown, or the Messiah must have has arrived, right? That's not what happened. It was just a near fulfillment. It was a sign that, hey, there's things coming. Can I tell you that we know this? This is why Jesus is talking about this. He says, when you see this thing spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. I am here this morning to help you understand what this says. Amen? <laughs> I am not here to give you my take on being a futurist, uh, pre-trib, uh, you know, believing that Jesus... I'm here to tell you what I believe Scripture interweaves and teaches. And so what the goal is, Jesus says, you have to understand these things because these things are coming. And when you do that number, 1,290... It comes down to basically, depending on what calendar you use, if you use 360 or 365, it falls to this, like 10 days within three and a half years. When we were talking about Daniel 9, it said there's going to be this one week period and in the middle he breaks it. If we do years, it's seven years in the middle of it, there's three and a half years left after he breaks the covenant. Jesus is saying here, man, you need to study Daniel. <laughs> because if you're looking for the sign that is the, the one sign, not the earthquakes, not the wars, not those things, the sign that you know the Son of Man is returning, the second coming of Christ to rule and reign, he says, it's going to be according to what Daniel says. And we're told that's three and a half years after the abomination of desolation. <laughs> Now, has that occurred yet? I don't believe it has occurred yet. It's not occurred. <laughs> Could it? Oh, man, we are so ripe for all of these things to play out. But I have to take a step back, and we'll get into this a little more. I am currently talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he returns to rule and reign. <laughs> Can I be clear? I believe there are very clearly two events that involve a Lord's coming in some way. There's one where he comes in the clouds, but not to the earth, to rapture up his church. Harpazo is the word in 1 Thessalonians 4. In the Latin, it was translated as rapturus. 
we get the word rapture. Don't let anyone tell you rapture is not in the Bible. None of our English words are in the Bible. This ain't written in English, right? Love is not in the Bible. That's, that's a ridiculous argument. We need to understand the words we're talking about. In the Greek, harpazo means to, to violently snatch away something. That was translated to rapturous and into rapture in English. That's, the, that's what we call it. I know that word's not in our Bible, but it's the doctrine thereof. But we see throughout Scripture that there is a coming in the clouds to gather His church, and I believe that will begin what we call the era that is the day of the Lord. And see, then the tribulation will begin. In the middle of that tribulation, this is where the abomina abomination of desolation occurs. And three and a half years later, we can understand that Christ actually returns physically to the earth to establish His kingdom. Do we see that we're talking about a couple different events here? Does that make sense? <laughs> This is important. Look at it as we continue. So I told you, we're loading that one verse, but now we're going to move pretty good. Look at the rest of verse 14. It says, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have shown you all things beforehand. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for showing us things beforehand, by the way. <laughs> that the Lord does not desire for us to be ignorant of His Word, of the things that are in Scripture. Again, the first and most important foundational thing that I believe we have to hit this morning, do you know what the Lord wants you to be aware of and understand? Is that Jesus Christ came first as the suffering Messiah to die upon a cross to take away the sins of the world for those that put their faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is first and foremost. When we talk about first level primary things, let me give you two examples. One, that Jesus came in the flesh, but Jesus is the Son of God. That He is two natures in one person. He is completely God. He's completely man. When He came, He died in place of man. When He rose again, it proved that as we trust in His sacrifice, our sins will be forgiven us. As John 5, 24 says, He says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. You must believe that to be saved. Now, when we start talking about secondary and third level things, we start taking things like this section. We go, well, what if I don't understand these things? Listen, you are saved by grace through faith. Amen? <laughs> but do you know that Jesus doesn't want to just leave you in this, in this lacking knowledge? He desires, Hebrews 5.12 talks about this, that we would go from milk into solid food. And here are the disciples, only four of them. I think it was Peter, James, Andrew, and John that come to Jesus, according to Matthew 13. Out of the 12, only four actually showed up and said, hey, I want to know more about this. <laughs> I think it's funny because I think a lot of churches and a lot of people, they don't want to talk about this chapter. They will graze through this chapter. They'll, they'll peruse it and go right over it because, can I tell you, it can be somewhat divisive. 
It can be somewhat terrifying if you don't know who Jesus Christ is. Amen? <laughs> if you're in this room you don't know Jesus, you're going to have a hard time today. <laughs> but I would tell you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, according to Romans 8.1. Amen? And see, we're told that we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.9. And so as we study this, though it's heavy things, it's a blessing to know that Jesus desires to teach us. And what he says in, these, in this section, in verse 14, in verse 15, he's talking about the fact, he says, if you're in Judea, Jewish people, if you're in Judea, very specific group here, by the way, people in Judea, when this thing happens, you better flee. Get out of town, you who live in Judea. He says, don't stop. Don't go into your house to get anything. Don't go back from work to get the, the clothes, the, the heavy jackets that you took off to work. Don't go and get those things. He says, flee. Do you get a sense of an urgency? Jesus says, this is not a time or event to play around with. When Jesus, who... He speaks promises of hope continuously. And they're the greatest promises of hope. But can I tell you, when he talks about judgment, they're the most like terrifying words of judgment ever. And I hope we can understand that Jesus didn't hold any punches because he needed people to understand you need to be prepared, first of all, for the tribulation of this world. Jesus said that in John 16, 33. He said, you need to know that you will have joy in me, Jesus says. <laughs> You will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we have a general phrase of tribulation, but when he starts talking about the tribulation, man, he is warning, you do not want to endure this. Old Testament scriptures, you can't endure it. Man cannot endure this thing. This is not something you're just going to cruise through. <laughs> and see what Jesus says, don't go back and get things because it is going to be a time that is so terrifying. We're told that at the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that the Jewish people fled for the city of Petra, that rock city. You guys remember Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, right? You remember that? It ended with the rock city Petra, right? I always think that's kind of a cool thing. I've seen that in the Harrison Ford movie, okay? So you have this city of Petra. They ran there and they lived in that city, the rocks. They lived there and were preserved there. But what we're told in Revelation, we're told again in Revelation 12, 6, that when the great tribulation comes, that Israel will flee into the wilderness and into these places, into a place prepared by God. And you know how long they're going to be there? 1,260 days. That's really close to that other number we talked about earlier, right? Three and a half years. Daniel talks about a three and a half year period. Revelation talks about a three and a half year period. Jesus is saying, if you're in Judea when these things occur, you better get out of town because there is great tribulation coming after you see that event. Does this make sense what we're talking about still? See, Jesus does not desire that anyone would obliviously endure wrath. He wants people to put trust in his words that they would know that they would be spared from wrath, spared from the tribulation that is coming upon men. He says, I want you guys to understand this. And he talks about the fact. He says, woe to those who are pregnant and to those that are nursing babies and pray that their flight is not in winter. Can we think about this for a second? <laughs> this is the Tuesday of Jesus' last week on this earth in his physical body. And he says, man, I'm praying for the people that are going through the tribulation, the people that have rejected me. I pray that they don't have to suffer too hard. <laughs> 
Do you feel that way when people are like rejecting you? <laughs> Do you pray that, Lord, I pray that you wouldn't make them suffer too much. I'll tell you the truth. I kind of pray like David in Psalm 69. I'm like, crush their teeth in their mouth, Lord. Like, I'm wicked. The Lord Jesus is like, man, I pray that they wouldn't have to do this during winter. That'll make things just harder. I pray they're not nursing. I pray they're not pregnant. Like if some crazy chaotic event happened right now. Like we have to save women and children, right? That's the idea. Women and children, let's, let's help them out. Man, when someone's nursing and pregnant and then this thing was to occur, he says, man, that's going to be really hard. Do you get the compassion of Jesus here? These things are going to come to pass, but I'm desiring that you hear them. I'm desiring that you know my heart is that you would escape these things. And it's interesting because it says here, it's going to be a tribulation like has never been seen since the beginning of the world and nor shall ever be. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but I've encountered people that'll say, because I'm a pre-trib guy, I'm an escapist. You ever got that one? We'll talk about that in a little bit. In the parallel account in Luke, you know what Jesus says? Pray that you would be counted worthy to escape these things. So, amen, I'm an escapist. I'm going to trust in Jesus, okay? Amen? It's so funny. People are like, oh, like machismo. Like, oh, I can endure the great tribulation. You're like, bro, <laughs> I don't think you understand what's coming. And see, what's happening here is that Jesus says here, he says that it's going to be worse than ever before. And he's talking this section. He says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he chose, and he shortened the days. Now we go, elect. Aren't we elected in Christ? That must mean the church. Can I tell you what's interesting here? Jesus uses this word, eclectos, for elect. Do you know what word he used for the church in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 before he's talking about this? Ecclesia. When he talks about the church, he uses the word ecclesia. When he talks about the elect, remember the covenanted people, he uses the word eclectos. Now, it doesn't mean that eclectos cannot apply to the church at times. But when we have context that is talking about places like Judea, going through the thing called Jacob's trouble in the Old Testament, Jacob's trouble is not the church's trouble. Jacob is a name for Israel when they're in unbelief. Amen? The first 69 weeks of Daniel, you know who it pertained to? Israel. Why would the last week of the 70 weeks pertain to the church? That last week pertains to Israel. It's called Jacob's trouble. And see, Jesus is sitting here with four Jewish men who are his followers, speaking to them and telling them, the elect, those that are chosen by God, we know that God's not done with Israel. And you say, this eclectos, ecclesia, if you read through Revelation... <laughs> Let me just talk about Revelation for a minute. Revelation 1.19. John is told by Jesus Christ, I want you to write the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. We call it the divine outline. It's very helpful for understanding Revelation. In chapter 1, you know what John describes? The things that he has seen. He sees Jesus Christ. In chapters 2 and 3, he talks about the church, the things that were and present on the earth. Real churches. He uses the word ecclesia, the church, right? Chapter 4, though, John gets called into the throne room. He gets called by a voice, goes up. He's already having a vision. No need to go into heaven, but it's part of the vision. He gets called up, and he says, Come up here, John, and I will show you the things that must take place after this. And then, you know that word ecclesia? It doesn't show up anywhere during the tribulation. Eclectos is the word that's used throughout there for the elect. Do you see what's happening here? <laughs> People will say, The church is going through the tribulation. Why aren't we using the word church in Revelation? We used it in chapter 2 and 3. We know it exists. Use the word if it's the church. But you don't see that word anywhere. Jesus returns in Revelation 19 with his saints. 
I believe clearly, I think chronologically, if we take Revelation 1.19, put it in context, I believe that chapter 4 show, represents John, a believer in Jesus Christ, getting called up before everything hits, before the Antichrist arrives, before the abomination of desolation that occurs in Revelation 13. I believe that it's very clear that Jesus is saying, this is that time of Jacob's trouble that has to do with the Jewish people. That yes, he chose them, he covenanted with them. But think about what he said. If he's talking about Israel, he says, this is the worst tribulation that they're ever going to experience. You know there's no other people group that's been persecuted like the Jews, right? Egypt. Think about Egypt. Man, make more bricks, but now we're not even giving you the supplies. Go make more. Whipping, beating the people. Terrible persecution. On through the season of judges, all through the Old Testament, you have constant attack, and then you have Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome. Then they scatter as a country, and, they, and then before they come back to the nation, the Holocaust. That's a thing we don't even like to think about, amen? Jesus says that's not going to be as bad as the tribulation that's coming. Does that put it in perspective what we're talking about? That's terrifying. Can I tell you a blanket statement about Israel at the moment? They have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We were talking about this the other night with someone that was in Israel at one point. And they said there's about 10, at the time, there was 10,000 Christians in the whole place with millions and millions of people, 10,000 Christians in Jerusalem. That's a very small amount. What Paul says in Romans 11, 25 and 26, he says there is a season right now where there is a temporary blindness of sorts over that nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. He says, but after that, the Deliverer, speaking of the Messiah, will come again. He will deliver His people. Amen? Two tracks. There's the church. There's Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. That's called replacement theology. That gets really messed up when we start interpreting things in Scripture because all of a sudden we have the promises of Deuteronomy 28. Let me ask you, in Jesus Christ, does God work with you on a system of works, in the system of if you do good, then I'll bless you, and if you don't, I'll curse you? Can I tell you what happens in Jesus Christ? Even when I do bad sometimes, the Lord still blesses me somehow because I'm in an era of grace. Don't get me wrong, there is clearly a consequence to sin, but sometimes the Lord in His goodness and His grace says, you're under this different covenant now. It's called grace. But I'm not to insult the spirit of grace according to Hebrews 10.29. See, the works has been completed in Jesus, and as I rely upon it, as I trust in it, man, there's something new that comes out of my life. I abide in Jesus, the vine, according to John 15, 5. And the fruit produces that fruit, or I'm sorry, the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians 5 talks about. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Things that the law of the Old Covenant could never produce in me. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? The law would tell us things like, don't murder someone. <laughs> Now we're told, go love your neighbor. If I'm busy loving my neighbor, I'm not going to be busy murdering him, hopefully, right? <laughs> Do you see how this works when we're in Jesus now? It's like, dude, that covenant, that is an old covenant in the sense it pointed to Jesus, we're in this new thing. But there's a reality here that there's two tracks, two programs. Right now, every person, whether Jew or Gentile, can come to Jesus Christ and enter into that relationship through faith in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? But there's going to be a time when the Lord says, my church is coming up, my believers are coming home, and now it's time for Jacob's trouble. And he says, this is important to know, and this is why these guys are concerned about it. They say, we want to know about this. And they say in verse 21 here, Jesus says, if anyone says to you, look, there is the Christ, or here's the Christ, don't believe it. 
Can I tell you a really big trend right now? There's this thing, this movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. Have you guys heard about this? It's kind of terrifying because it's really prominent here in Texas. I've run into it often, and I apologize if you're in here and you're like, I, I'm all about this. I'm just going to tell you, this is, this is problematic. It's becoming cult-like. Because what they believe, they believe in these seven mountains and all these different concepts that they try to draw from Scripture. But what they believe is that the voice of their apostles now are superseding going beyond Scripture. That's always the first scary sign. We have something newer than Scripture, right? Joseph Smith type stuff, right? The Watchtower type stuff. This is the same idea. And they, what they're saying is that God is actually going to use America as his spiritual Israel. And that we are Israel. This is a replacement theology thing that happens. And they believe that we are receiving these things from God. And we're telling you that we're in the tribulation right now. And that you better get ready. Christ is here. He's amongst us. He's going to rise up soon. What did Jesus say 2,000 years ago? <laughs> Don't believe people when they say, hey, look, there's Christ. Hey, look, here's Christ. Can I just tell you, we're going to know. <laughs> Everyone is going to know when Jesus returns. Amen. <laughs> It's going to be very, very clear. And I bring that up because he says, there's people out here, false prophets that are trying to rise to show signs and wonders. Do you know one of the ways that the Antichrist will get the whole world to worship him? Is that he's going to recover from this, this, this mortal wound. He's going, to, he's going to recover from that. He has a false prophet. This is on Revelation 13, by the way. He's going to call down fire from heaven. Do you know who else did things like that? Elijah. If I called down fire from heaven right now and told you I'm an active prophet and you need to believe every word, I bet some of you would be like, whoa, this guy must be serious because he just called down fire. Do you know that the enemy, Satan, can disguise himself as an angel of light? His goal is deception to get you away from the truth that is Jesus Christ. And see, in this section, Jesus says, I do not want anyone deceiving you. Do not listen to wacky groups that show up and say, Jesus has already come. You're going to know when he shows up. And he says, I'm even giving you the sign of the abomination desolation. When you see that, set that stopwatch for three and a half years. <laughs> I'm coming. That's pretty wild, right? Again, how can I say that? Because he fulfilled it to the T on his first coming. The first part of Daniel 9, 26 and 27 talks about the king coming low, uh, lowly on the, col, uh, or on, the, on the back of donkey in Zechariah 9. It says that was going to occur in Daniel 9. Jesus did it. It was literal years. <laughs> We are just, it's, it's coming. But let me tell you, you shouldn't be fearful of that if you're in Jesus Christ, amen? See, look at what Jesus says here on these things. Look at verse 24 through 27. He says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. <laughs> so this is awesome because what Jesus is talking about here is he's saying in those days after the tribulation, he uses this word in the Greek, it's meta. It means with, after, behind. It's like directly connected to. In Matthew 24, 29, the parallel account, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation. So this speaks the end, the culmination of the tribulation, the end of those full seven years, three and a half years of peace, when the Antichrist first arrives, says he's their guy, lets them do sacrifices. Second half of three and a half years, second half of seven years, three and a half of great tribulation. And it says, at the end of that, <laughs> you see, then we'll know, what does it say is going to happen? 
cosmic disturbances. <laughs> that stuff sounds like something out of a horror movie or some kind of science fiction movie, right? <laughs> It says here, it says, here are the things that you're going to see. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. When did this occur when Antiochus Epiphanes came into the temple? When did this occur in 70 AD after the temple was destroyed? Here we are, the moon is in the sky, the sun is still there, the stars are still here. Do you know all these terms, when used in the Old Testament, they relate to things like judgment. Jesus is saying, this is going to be such a radical time of judgment, of tribulation. It's going to be so clear from the cosmic signs. No one's going to have to try to tell you that Jesus showed up. <laughs> if you were in this place, you would look around and be like, dude, the stars are falling out of the sky. <laughs> the great abomination, the abomination desolation has occurred. Israel's fleeing and running. People are being told in Revelation to take a mark and worship the beast, worship the Antichrist. And if they don't, they're going to have to run for their lives and be killed, martyred. He says, do you think someone's going to have to tell you that you're in the tribulation? <laughs> so many Christians today, I don't know what the percentage is, but people will tell you we are living in the tribulation. That is terrifying if you think we're in the tribulation now. I know jobs can be difficult. I know that kids can sometimes get on nerves and things. I get that you know this ain't tribulation, right? <laughs> people are like, look it. Well, here's it. James 4 tells us. <laughs> That's right. I quote the book of James every week. Someone called me out for that. So that was, a, here's James for you, okay? James chapter 4 tells us that all these things, war and problems, you know where it comes from? It comes from man's wicked lust in this fallen world to get power for himself. If you believe that this world right now is just going to be all peaches and cream because Jesus came the first time, we are in an era that is often referred to as like the, the era of man, the day of man. He thinks he's in control. <laughs> Let me be clear. God is on the throne. He's long-suffering. But there's a day coming where it's going to go from being the day of man, the era of man, into the day of the Lord. And Jesus, you're going to know when these things occur. You're going to know what this looks like. And what does he say is going to happen after these things? He says in verse 26, he says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That term, Son of Man, is one of Jesus' favorite terms to refer to himself. It's a messianic term that draws right out of Daniel 7, 9 through 14. There's a verse from Dan that section in Daniel 7. It says, Then to him, speaking of the Messiah, the Son of Man, it says, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And Jesus says, everyone's going to see the Son of Man come. They're going to see him. Do you know what Jesus said in Revelation 1-7? He said, behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And see, the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ, it's going to be at this time when Israel, the elect people, the people who have covenanted with God, they're going to be being persecuted. But Zechariah tells us, Zechariah 14, verses 3 through 5, it tells us that while they're being persecuted, the Messiah is going to arrive. And remember in Acts 1 where the angels told the guys, why are you still looking into, looking into the heavens? You know he's going to come back the same way that he went up, right? They were standing upon the Mount of Olives. It's so cool. Where Jesus is teaching this right now is the Mount of Olives. It's the Olivet Discourse. He says this, I'm going to come back the same way everyone's going to see it. The same way that you guys saw me go into, the, we would say, is the same way I'm coming back. And when he arrives, we're told again, Zechariah 14, that he's going to split the Mount of Olives into two. 
physical mountain here on the earth, and he's going to allow his people that have trusted in him, have not worshipped the Antichrist, have not put their trust in him, and they've run in and they put their trust awaiting the Messiah. And at that point, we're told in Zechariah 12, they're going to look upon the one who they pierced, and they're going to realize this was our Messiah all along. Does that like break our heart? Do you know that there's the whole Judaism, the whole culture, the whole Jewish culture, they're awaiting a Messiah and they don't realize He's come already. He came the first time and they said, you don't fit our box. We don't want a suffering Messiah. We want a ruling and reigning Messiah. And see, I'll tell you, Jesus is coming again to fulfill the ruling and reigning part. Amen? We should be excited for the fact that he is returning, that he guarantees. I don't care where your eschatological stance is on this, if you're like pre-trib rapture, post-trib. I, I don't know about that, okay, for you. But you have to understand that there, according to Jesus, he is coming again. That should create urgency in us, amen? <laughs> that should create a readiness in us. Jesus keeps saying things like, take heed. He says he's coming with great power and he's going to send his angels and gather together his elect, again, eclectos, from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. It's interesting, because when we talk about the four winds, we're talking like the points on a compass. North, east, south, west, right? Four directions. Generally speaking, we have all of these Jews that were scattered for thousands of years, and the Lord brought them back to the land, right? Well, when this whole thing occurs, He just said, you're going to have to flee. You're going to have to run. We saw that the Lord has brought Israel together in the past. Do you know what's going to happen at some point? He's going to say, okay, I'm going to bring my people together. When I rule and reign, those that have trusted now, those that have not embraced the Antichrist and waited for me, they're coming into the kingdom. And see, this is awesome because it shows that even though Israel as a nation, as a whole, has been rejecting Jesus for generation after generation, look at the mercy and grace of Jesus. Say, I'm coming to deliver you. Do you think that God is mad at you today and He's done with you? Do you think, oh man, I've, I've messed up too much? Think about what Israel has done. Everyone, but Israel in particular in this context. He says, I'm going to gather them to me. And I'm going to bring them into my kingdom. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, repent of your sin, amen? But you have not sinned so far right now. If you still have breath in your body, you can still repent. And the Lord will receive you. <laughs> I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know what your week looked like this week. But step away from the seven-year question that is the tribulation. What are you not trusting the Lord with right now? <laughs> are you saying, my sin is too much for Jesus? That's incorrect. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, so far as He remove our transgressions from us, according to Psalm 103.12. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. Amen? This is so awesome to see the Lord's heart towards His people. And we, His church, His bride. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Look at what happens here. Look at 28 through 31. It says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Thank you, Jesus, that his word stands forever. <laughs> 
And see, what Jesus is teaching here is that, okay, there is going to be tribulation. You're going to see the abomination, desolation, and that group, man, it's going to be terrifying. They've got to run. They've got to flee. But they should know, don't believe that I have come until all these cosmic things have happened. And I'm going to be very clear. I'm going to arrive and everyone's going to know it. But he says, let me explain. You might still be thinking, well, hey, is there a gap in time in here? Think about right now where we stand. We go, okay, Jesus came and fulfilled Zechariah 9.9 some 2,000 years ago. Zechariah 9.10 says that, yes, he's coming on donkey, but now he's going to rule and reign. There's been a 2,000-year gap between those two verses, right? Jesus is trying to tell them, don't think that I'm speaking in some loose thing. When you see this, Daniel is going to be fulfilled, and it's going to be quick. It is near at the doors. Do you see? He's talking about the suddenness, the imminency. The fact that there's a sequential nature to the signs. These signs are building one upon another to eventually reveal Jesus Christ. And he says, these things are going to happen quickly. Does that make sense, what we're talking about? Because look what he does here. He says, learn this parable, and that uses the word parabole. That means to take something and place it alongside. So this is one of Jesus' favorite teaching devices, a parable. He uses an earthly picture to, to convey a heavenly principle. And so what he's saying is, just take a look at the fig tree. He says, when those branches get all tender, starts to produce leaves, do you know what's coming after that? Fruit, right? It's going to bud. The summer fruit's coming. Now, it's interesting here because we have done many things with this passage that have been incorrect. I know because we've seen them develop and fall short in the way we're like, well, that was wrong. We, we interpreted that wrong. Now, let me tell you what's in this section. He says, first of all, he says, when its branch has become tender and puts forth, you're going to see that it's near. He's talking about nearness. He says, know that it is near. It's at the doors. See, you can look at a fig tree, and I believe it's in Luke's account. He says, and all the other trees. So he's not just talking about just a fig tree. That's important. Because people, you know what people have said? The fig tree is Israel. And you know what happened with that? People started making weird predictions based on this generation won't pass away when they see the fig tree. People are like, 1948, dude, let's set a stopwatch. This is going to be it. And it happened in 81. Nope, no, no return. Happened 2018. Nope, that didn't work either. The 70-year generation, the 40-year generation. Maybe it'll be the 100-year generation. I'm careful to now say I'm not putting my stake in that theory. <laughs> it's failed. Now, is Israel part of this whole thing? Absolutely. We've just talked about this. Israel in the, in the land with a temple and there's the, des the abomination and desolation. These are all important things. But the fig tree itself here is expressing this, the, the sequential nature that when you see this thing, it leads to this thing and you can expect my coming. Jesus could have picked an apple tree. He said any of the trees. There's a reality. I'm not good at gardening. Who's, who in here gardens? Like a few of you good. We live in Texas. hard to garden in Texas, I heard, right? You're like, I grow dirt and weeds, right? I can't grow anything. My wife's pretty good at this. She's getting good at this, and she'll explain like a life cycle things to me that is kind of embarrassing because I, like I have lots of college and stuff, and she's telling me things that like she's teaching my eight-year-old, and I'm like, I didn't know that. It's kind of embarrassing, right? She's like, yeah, knucklehead. Like, this is how it works, right? Like, she doesn't call me knucklehead. She loves me. But the reality is... There's this life cycle to a plant that when you put it in and it, it, it produces, you can actually look at it and go, dude, that thing's going to produce fruit. I know it because it's growing. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Jesus says, I'm telling you all these things beforehand that you will know when you see the branches come out that winter, the waiting season is over. Summer's near and the fruit is coming and the fruit is the return to Son of Man, Jesus Christ. 
He says, this should make you realize that I'm near the door. He says, that generation won't pass away. We say, okay, what generation is he talking about? Can I just simplify us in the most basic way? He's been talking about the abomination of desolation. The generation that sees the abomination of desolation, it's not going to be a thousand year period until Jesus returns. It's going to be like three and a half years. Whoever sees the abomination of desolation, that generation, they're not going to, it's, it's before they die that the Lord's returning. And based on Daniel, three and a half years. Does that make sense? We've over-spiritualized it. We've taken it and said, okay, Israel showing up in 1948. We know that a generation, some place in Scripture, is 40 years. That means the, Jesus returns in 1988. Let's take away seven years of tribulation. The church would get raptured in 1981. You know that's, that's happened, right? <laughs> and it was wrong. Then it was like, well, maybe a generation is 70 years like we see in some other places. In 2018, right? Take away seven years. That puts us at 2011 getting raptured. That didn't occur either. Do you see how embarrassing it is when we start placing dates, precise dates, saying, hey, this is what it says. We talked about this last week. You can lose so much value of your voice when you start taking things and saying, I am firm-handed believing I know everything there is about this and I've decided that I precisely know all things. Look at what happens here in the last section. Look at 32 to the end. This is where we finish. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening... At midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. <laughs> watch. That's the last word of this section. What does Jesus say? Take your time and hang out because it's going to be like, you're going you're to have all these signs. You're going to have the tribulation to wait through. Just hang out. Wait for that to all finish. Then I'll come back. He says, watch. You do not know when I'm going to show up. Jesus just told them, you're going to be able to look at a fruit tree of sorts, right? The fig tree, and you can tell the fruit's coming. Same thing when you see the abomination of desolation. But by the way, no one knows the day or the hour. What? <laughs> Does that sound like a contradiction of sorts? Let me explain to you again why I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. <laughs> you see, in Scripture, there's this thing called the day of the Lord. Don't think of that as one day. It's not one day. In Scripture, the day of the Lord can refer to the judgment, the white throne judgment. It can refer to the tribulation. It can refer to that whole day just when the Lord begins to usher out His final plans, His end time plans for all things. The day of the Lord is an era. And see, I believe what begins the day of the Lord, it must be something sudden. That's what Jesus said. Watch! Why don't I just watch for the abomination of desolation? Because then I know I need to get serious because, you know, Jesus is coming back in three and a half years. <laughs> You're not going to be here to see the abomination of desolation. I'm coming in a way that no one's going to know, and it sounds a lot like 1 Thessalonians 4. A sudden violence snatching away, harpazo. <laughs> and see, the, the principle of rapture is seen throughout Scripture. Enoch, in Genesis 5.24, it said, For he walked with God and he was not, because God took him. And people are like, maybe we're over-spiritualizing that. Before the flood, a man that was righteous got taken by God without tasting death. And Hebrews 11 confirms that's what happened to Enoch. <laughs> Rapture principle. Amen? There's a principle that God has raptured people before. We understand that. We didn't make this up. 
Secondly, again, in Thessalonians, it says this is going to be a sudden thing, a pulling away, a gathering of the church. So raptures can happen, and it's going to be a sudden thing. Do you know what Jesus says, again, in Luke 21, 36, the parallel count? He says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. Do you know what Luke was? A Gentile. <laughs> Do you know who he was writing to? Gentiles. We believe Theophilus was a Gentile. <laughs> and he says, those that are reading this stuff about the tribulation, you better be walking worthy that you can be counted worthy to escape these things. By the way, I'm an escapist again. Okay, you see where I get my theory on this? People are like, oh, bro, you're just sissy. I don't want to go through tribulation. <laughs> Do you know what the tribulation is? Worse than anything that's ever been on this planet. But you might say, okay, maybe James is just afraid of the tribulation. That's why he wants to be a pre-trib guy. Let's talk about one more time. We talked about it a little last week, but if you missed it, we have to go over this. What is the purpose of the tribulation? You see, some Christians will tell you, oh, it's for testing the bride. That's not true. Because there are people that will not go through the tribulation but are part of the bride. Amen? Why do some get tested and some don't with the tribulation? That's inconsistent. But also from there is the idea that Jesus promised in Revelation 3, verse 10, I believe it is, He told the faithful church of Philadelphia. He says, if you preserve, if you sustain, if you trust in Me, guess what I'll do? I will remove you from the hour of the trial that is coming to, to bring wrath upon those who dwell on the earth. Not just remove you from the trial or preserve you in the trial. He says, I'll take you from the whole hour of trial. That's aura in the Greek. <laughs> it means you're going to miss the very time of those things that are happening. Now, if the church is going to miss the time of the tribulation, guess where that puts a rapture? Before the tribulation. <laughs> I believe firmly in a pre-trib rapture. Lastly, I started this and I want to finish it. What is the purpose of the tribulation? It is wrath to be poured out upon an unbelieving world. Is the bride of Christ an unbelieving world? <laughs> the bride of Christ. We are His bride because we believe in Him. <laughs> we have accepted Him. We have embraced Him. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, You have not been appointed to wrath. That's literally what the tribulation is about. Wrath. Do you believe you're appointed to it? Jesus says, no. Paul says that Jesus says that you have been appointed to salvation, to be saved. And now again, people will say, well, maybe we have just spiritualized some of these words and the church is going through the tribulation. I think it's funny. I go like this. First of all, when did Lot go through the destruction that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah? When did Noah get drowned in the flood? You know what they got, these guys had in common? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, according to Genesis 6-8. And Lot? Lot was pretty carnal. But he believed in the promises that were given to Abraham. And the Lord says, get out of here before I destroy this place. The consistency of the Lord, of His character towards the people that, he, that, that trust in Him, I don't believe that's going to change. Because the Lord is not changing. He's unchanging. And now again, people will have all their reasons to say, no, you can't be pre-trib guy because I've got this thing. Can I tell you what happens? You have to start changing the way you interpret certain parts of Scripture to make that fit your theology. For me, I go very literal and I don't violate the character of God as what I've seen in Scripture. And I'm safe to say, hey, a pre-trib rapture sure does make a whole lot of sense because Jesus says, watch, because you do not know when it's going to happen. If Jesus says, watch, because in three and a half years I'm coming after the abomination and desolation, I'd say, okay, we can just wait for signs. But Jesus says, no, there's nothing waiting for me to come and get you. You see this parable, this is how we end, this parable that's here, 
the parable of the, of the absentee house owner. <laughs> he says in this section, he says, It's like a man who goes to a far country, left his house, gave authority to his servants to each his work, and commanded them to keep watch. It seems as if Jesus is far away right now, right? He's not, but it seems like that to man. But he still owns the house. <laughs> Amen? There's a time when he's coming, but right now he says, I'm going to steward it to people. I'm going to give them my authority. And I'm going to give them work to do. That's, that sounds a lot like the church to me right now. That doesn't sound like Israel right now. General, believing Israel, or general speaking, Israel is not participating in the work of God. They've rejected Jesus Christ. But the church is here actively working. He is, but the master is going to show up. And man, he's coming an hour you don't know, so you better watch. The thing I need to leave you with this morning is the imminent return of Jesus, that he can come at any time. One of my big problems with post-trib thing is like, man, why don't I just wait till I see the signs? That's never what Jesus taught. <laughs> you know, in Thessalonians, over and over, Paul says, look it, look for Jesus Christ. Look for, the, look for his gathering of the church. Look for him. Look, don't look for signs. Paul says, look for Jesus. <laughs> And now again, we know signs are coming before his return, but man, there's nothing that holds back his coming in the clouds to gather the church, amen? The reason I teach on this so passionately is the same reason I believe Jesus taught these men this way. He said, do not be deceived. There is deception within the church with all kinds of groups. We talked about the New Apostolic Reformation. The Jehovah's Witnesses said Jesus came back some time ago. I forget what the year is, but they said he already came. Okay? We have all these ideas of, no, there's, there's, there's cults have made false ideas. In the church, people say, you better be ready to go through the tribulation. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I am told, you better be ready for Jesus to rapture you and take you home. How are we living today? As your pastor... I am telling you, I need this reminder moment by moment because it is so easy to get sucked into the vacuum that is this world. All of my cares, all of my concerns become things like clothes and food and housing. And Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field, look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. Amen? You need to worry about this. Do my work and my authority and I'm coming to get you. There's nothing left. When we see things like the temple being talked about, we don't even need that. We can go before that. So don't bank on that. <laughs> Bank on the fact that Jesus could return today and man, we are his bride. Can I give you my last thing that I kind of say in a condescending way sometimes, so forgive me? Do you think Jesus beats his wife? <laughs> Tell me the truth. Do you think that Jesus has called me to wash my wife with the word as Christ loved the church? But by the way, bride, he's going to pour out wrath on you even though you believe in him. That makes no sense in any way. <laughs> that's my back pocket condescending comment to people. I'm like, so Jesus beats his bride, right? They're like, no. I'm like, that's what you're saying. Are we the bride? Yes. He's going to pour his wrath on us even though he absorbed it all. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that. I believe that's a violation of the character of God. Amen? <laughs> I'm not saying that's your first argument, but I'm telling you sometimes it gets to that point and I'm like, bro, really, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> This is the end of the eschatological section of Mark 13, in my, or Mark, the Gospel of Mark, in my opinion. The rest of this book, we're going to see the, 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 the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you walk out of here today and go, man, that guy on stage is nuts. He's talking about a rapture. He's talking about that. Hey, that's cool. Come talk with me. We can discuss these things. I'm happy to talk about this. But do not leave until you realize that Jesus Christ came and died and he rose again. This is the thing that matters. The enemy would love to divide us and get away from the cross because we're so concerned about eschatology. 
But you better have a good answer for eschatology. We're called to be good Bereans in the book of Acts, right? Be like the good Bereans and be stewards. Rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? Let's stand. We'll pray.